So today's reading is um, in your pew Bibles, 1174, and it's taken from Ephesians 3, starting at verse 1 to 13. So Paul the preacher to the Gentiles. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation. As I have written briefly, in reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to this eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my suffering for you, which are your glory. This is the word of the Lord. Andrew said that image dated me of Toya, but when it was about it's a mystery, it seemed to me that's what appeared in my head, but that's because I'm an 80s person. I'm going to come forward a bit so I can see where the screen is. Now, I've been given the joy of the clicker this morning, so we will see how that works or whether I'm going flicky next slide. So, the session, as you've heard, is the third one in our series on Ephesians, and the title Dennis gave it was The Divine Mystery and how God chose to fulfil his intention through Paul and then through the church. Now, I thought, oh, this is nice and easy. I've just done an essay for the reader training on the Trinity, which is God's divine mystery. I can just rehash that and produce a mind-blowing sermon on the mystery, but it seems there's more than one mystery to do with God, which is not hugely surprising, because I suppose our brain can't really hold on to the immenseness that God is. Uh, I looked into mystery. Augustine wrote, if you think you have grasped him, it is not God you have grasped. And I thought, oh yeah, that's true. We can never understand completely God. And Sewis Lewis in Mere Christianity wrote about two levels of understanding. The level which is human and the level which is divine. And the divine mystery therefore must surely require divine understanding. So we shall see how we do with understanding this. So I'm going to look 
One thing that I got feedback on on my last sermon when I stood here, and Michael would like to apologise to you, by the way, for the fact that my sermon, last sermon had to be 10 minutes. But he did recommend a book so I didn't have flappy pieces of paper. He didn't like flappy pieces of paper. Um, but he said I needed to tell you what I was going to preach first, as I do in a lesson. So I'm going to talk about the divine mystery, and then I'm going to talk about how it came through Paul and then through the church. So there we go. I've worked on my feedback. So let's start at verse 1 and see how we understand. Verse 1 is, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. And it doesn't finish. Oh, I said I was going to do this. Let's see how we go. Flicky, could you move it to the next slide, please? I'm giving up on the clicker. So, it looks there strangely. Paul breaks off as if he's part way through a sentence and goes on to a whole chunk. And actually, this sentence doesn't pick up until Andrew's sermon in two weeks' time. So he just does this little bit. He diverts onto what we're going to look at, and then as Andrew will pick up the rest of this later. I did wonder for this reason, but if you listened closely to Dozy last week, because this is a joiner to the previous sermon you will know what that reason was. But I'm not going to tell you, because it's part of the mystery. So you'll find out later on in the sermon. The second thing about this verse that interests me was that he describes himself as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Not a prisoner of Rome, not a prisoner of Nero, but a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Because he had been doing what he'd been told, in his view by Jesus, to go and preach the gospel to the Gentiles... He is a prisoner of Christ because he's doing God's will. And being a prisoner is God's will. And therefore, being a prisoner, he is a prisoner of Christ because that's what Christ wanted for him. He's not actually in prison in the sense that we would consider prison. He's under house arrest, but he is chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day. So he's not free to go about, but he's under a prison. And he has ended up suffering just as we hear about the apostles suffering for sharing God's will. He has been telling other people about God's love and how Jesus died for them, and he's ended up in prison. And as he wrote in Philippians 3, verse 10 and 11, I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. And that is what has happened to him. Verse 2 and 3 has the... I'll have another go. I don't know whether that was me or Flicky. It could be either. Verse 2 and 3, we get the mention of the mystery again. He doesn't tell us what it is, however. He's building that up to later on. But he says, Surely you have heard the administration of God's grace that was given me to, that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I have already written briefly. He doesn't tell us what it is, but he has told us in the previous verse that he's prepared to suffer for it. So it's something that is important. And it's something that's been revealed to him. It's an open secret in the sense that mystery means that in this term. It doesn't mean something totally hidden. It's an open secret known to a group of people. It's beyond human discovery but can be revealed to God. And it's been revealed to him 
And why is it being revealed? It's been revealed to him to share to others. So it's not something for him to keep private. It's something that he's been given to give to others. As it says that it was given to, given me, given to me for you. And in treat, he thinks they know what it is already. Because it says, as I have already written briefly. So if that's in this letter and you've been listening to the sermons over the last two weeks carefully, as I say, you should know what it is. And then in the next two verses, he continues, but he still doesn't tell us what it is. He says, in reading this then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. Flicky, can you just move me on each time because it's clearly not going to work for me. Thank you. So we still don't know what it is, but we know that it's been kept a secret for many generations, and we know that it's now been revealed by the Holy Spirit to the apostles and prophets, which obviously includes Paul, but it's not just to him. It's been revealed to the other apostles and prophets as well. Now we get to verse 6, and yes, he tells us what it is. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. This is the mystery that all along God intended to bring in the Gentiles on equal terms with the Jews. The union of the Jews and the Gentiles with each other through the union of both with Christ. It was not an afterthought. The Jews didn't play along, therefore he moved to the Gentiles. No, this has always been God's plan that the Jews and the Gentiles would be on equal terms. And we can see that in the Old Testament passages. I found four or five. If we start in Genesis 12, through Abraham, all families of the earth will be blessed. Not just the Jewish families, all families will be blessed. And then in Psalm 2, verse 8, the Messiah would receive the nations as his inheritance. So again, not just the Jewish nation, but the nations, so all would be the inheritance for the Messiah. And in Psalm 40, no, Isaiah 42, verse 6, and Isaiah 49, verse 6, that Israel will be given as a light to the nations. He was there to enlighten them. And one day, all nations would make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. The future is all nations flowing to Jerusalem. And that's in Isaiah 2, verse 2. So the three promises that he's made are that the Gentiles will be co-heirs, members of the same body, and partners of the promise in Christ Jesus. So we'll look at each one separately. So firstly, they're co-heirs or heirs together. The question is, if you're an heir, what are you inheriting? And what they're inheriting or we're inheriting, to be fair, is the promises that were made to Abraham. And they now equally apply to Gentiles as they do to the Jews. And if you go to Galatians 3, verse 28 to 29, is as on the screen there. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. And 
God promised his people that they would inherit the whole world. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. And then in Romans 5, when God renews the whole creation, his people will be kings and lords over it. So now the Gentiles share in his inheritance. For if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive, receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? We inherit the promises that were made to the Jewish nation. And secondly, we are members of one body. Both Jew and Gentile are to be part of the same body. And that's likely to be the church, because if you go back to the beginning, when Dennis preached in Ephesians 1 verse 23, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body. So we are all to be combined in one body, one church. And each of these members belong to one another. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and those members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to the other. So we are members of one body, and we have inherited the promises. And thirdly, we are all in fellowship together. We share the same promise. I was reading David Pawson. And he talks in this verse, rather than share, but he uses the word partake. As in, so we partake in the same promise, which is the same in his eyes as partaking in a meal together. And he talks about the woman at the well who asked Jesus for a drink. No, Jesus asked her for a drink, wrong way around, sorry. Jesus asked him, her for a drink. And she says, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan. So how can you ask me for a drink? And then John explains it. Jews will not use the same cups and bowls that Samaritans use. But now Jews and Gentiles are going to eat together at the same fellowship, the same promise, in fellowship with one another. All the promises in the Old Testament were made to the Jews, and yet we claim them now. We use the Psalms, which were Jewish prayers and praises. They're part of our worship Instead of Gentiles coming to the Jews and becoming a Jew to find God, following the law, the Ten Commandments, being circumcised, had to get that word in just for Andrew, now they can come straight to God through Jesus. The way to God is not just for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. Jesus did not just die for the Jews, but for everyone. And everyone can come into a relationship with God through Jesus. The forgiveness of sins is available to everyone. And he explains now, now he's explained what the mystery is. He now goes on in this letter to explain his role in it. And he says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the workings of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the God, all the God Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. So his job 
is to share this mystery. In verse 8, at the top there, he talks about sharing it with the Gentiles. But in verse 9, he's now talking about everyone. It needs to be explained to the Jews as well as to the Gentiles because it's a change of thought for them too. They thought they'd got there through following the law. Now they need to understand there is a new way. And that way is also open to Gentiles as well. Paul describes his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus and says that Jesus said, I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes and then turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and a place among those sanctified by faith in me. And he explains this not because of anything he's done. He hasn't earned this, but he was made a minister by a gift of God's grace. In verse 2, the mystery was revealed to him by God's grace, and now he's been made a minister of it by that same gift of grace. So in verse 2, it was a revelation of the mystery. And in verse 7, he's now got the commission to tell it. There's a phrase in there that I loved, and I could do hours of sermon on that one, which is the boundless riches of Christ. Just an amazing phrase. Boundless there is the same word that was used in Job to describe the wonders of God's creation. And there are loads of different translations for that word, which means why you could preach on it for hours. Inexplicable, intraceable, unfathomable, inexhaustive, illimitable, inscrutable, incalculable, infinite. The good news is I'm not going to go on for infinity explaining the boundless riches of Christ. But I looked at a couple of people and saw what they described it as. John Stott looked at much more, I think, for the, how that meant for the people he was writing to. And he listed a few things. Resurrection from the death of sin, victorious enthronement with Christ in the heavenlies, reconciliation with God, incorporation with Jewish believers, end of hostility in the beginning of peace, access to the Father through Christ and by the Spirit, and membership of Christ's household and kingdom. But I ask myself, what would we preach? If we were to preach, as Paul is being asked to do, preach about the boundless riches of Christ, what could we talk about? And again, we could go on for hours, but I picked a few. I picked, firstly, the love of Christ. God loves each one of us and died for each one of us while we were yet sinners. He died to bring us sinners to God. And Charles Spurgeon put, I always have to get him in. Oh, my heavens, from my inmost heart I pray that this boundless wealth of love on the part of Jesus to those who were rebels and enemies may win your hearts to the love, the heavenly love, to love the heavenly lover in return. God loves us so much. Christ loves us so much that he died while we were still sinners. Surely the least we could do was love him in return. And secondly, in dying for us in love, he took our sins so we are pardoned. The blood of Christ washes away all our sins and leaves us washed white. When we turn to him and repent, our sins are as far from us as the east is from the west. What more can we ask for? In our world today, so many people are alone and we hear that as a problem that <coughs> that people have loneliness leading to mental health issues and all sorts like that 
But if you turn to Jesus, I'm not saying it gets rid of them all. I don't want to be, I don't, wouldn't want to claim that much. But you have a friend. That song we have, oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. We have a friend who will never let us down, never forsake us, and who can, we can always turn to. And another problem in our world is anxiety and stress. And yet when you turn to Christ, you can have the peace that the world cannot give, the peace that passes all understanding. And as amazing as those are, and they are, and we should be preaching them to everybody we meet, there is one thing we need to remember. The riches we receive in this life are nothing to the compared to the riches we will receive. They are just a foretaste of what is to come. Surely this is not something that just Paul is to tell people. Surely we must tell people of this as well. And then the third stage of it is that once we define the mystery, he's fulfilled it through Paul and then through the church. His intent was now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Manifold's an interesting word. It means different kinds or different colours. So just like there's no Jew or Gentile in the church, then neither is there any colour within the church. The church should be full of every kind and every colour joined together in and under Christ. Now the next bit was one of those where you read different theologians and they have two different conclusions. Many say that the purpose of this was that the church should be proclaiming to the world, to the political and economic structures, the rulers and authorities in our world, that there is a different way of living, a different way of being human, and that is united together. And I agree totally that is, that is something that the church should do, but I'm not sure that's what the passage says, because it says to me, that he is to proclaim to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, not on this earth. So it is to the rulers and authorities, but the rulers and authorities in heaven, to the cosmic forces, those who watch us. So Paul is saying that the church is to demonstrate to them the unity under Christ. Now in your home groups this week, you can spend many happy hours, if you like, discussing which way you'd like to interpret that. And that's up to you. I'll give you both images. And while there is no doubt that we are a sinful people, therefore the church is full of sinful people, and therefore we get it wrong. But Paul is saying that it's God's plan for the church to be united together under Christ. And the churches in our world today are certainly not united. We come at different things and there's disagreements. But that's not God's plan. God's plan is that we will be united together. So God has revealed the mystery to Paul, God commissioned Paul and others to preach it, and now the church is to reveal it. And he clarifies just two more things at the end of his, the reading. Verse 12. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. We know how in the Old Testament it was difficult to come into God's presence. Um, Moses could go up the mountain, but the others couldn't because they might die. 
they would die. Um, in the tabernacle, it was Moses who went into the tabernacle. In the temple, only the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies, and that was on one day a year. But now, we can come boldly into God's presence. Paul was in chains. He's imprisoned. But he could still come into God's presence with freedom. The relationship we have now is an intimate one. And we can come into God's presence wherever we are and whenever we need to. So you can come into God's presence while you're driving along, while you're in the bath, whenever you can talk to God. What a gift and another rich that may be. And that's also in that hymn, isn't it? What a friend I have in Jesus. What a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. And verse 13 links back to verse 1. Paul was prepared to suffer to share this mystery. Are we prepared to suffer? And if so, how much? How much are you prepared to tolerate? Criticism? Rejection? Or would you go far as torture? Imprisonment and death. And that is what Christians in our world today, we think particularly of Afghanistan at the moment, Christians are dying. How far are we prepared to suffer for this? Peter wrote that since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer. Don't compromise with the world and its ways, but stand strong and keep growing in Christ. Joyce Meyer says about this verse, we are to be God-pleasers, not people-pleasers. Don't be lukewarm, but be fully committed to following Jesus with your whole heart. So, as Dozy said, we are not just to be hearers, but doers. So, what does this mean for us today? I think, firstly, we need to be aware of the great gift we have from God. God's grace. He has grafted us in and brought us together with the Jews under and in Christ. Do we appreciate how great that is? Do we appreciate the unsearchable riches that come to us with this? Do we thank him, praise him, worship him for what he's given us? And in addition to that, do we make enough use of our access to God? But secondly, surely we are to be like Paul and go and tell people about this mystery that was revealed to him. To tell people of the promise of Jesus, about the gift of God's grace and power. To tell them about the unsearchable richness of God of Christ, sorry, the unsearchable riches of Christ and of the access we have to God. But thirdly, there is a cost. We must realise that there will be suffering. Paul was under house arrest and in chains for telling people. But we must be God-pleasers, not people-pleasers, and accept that we might get a negative reaction. Paul finishes up this letter with, don't be discouraged, don't give up. And I pinched this from a sermon I did beginning of the year. We should go. Go and tell people about this mystery, about this wonderful gift of grace that we have from God. Thank you.